Well, we were going to just record a normal podcast tonight, but me and Michael were sitting here like, let's just go live. It's 6.30 on Thursday night. Um, that way this pod, this will go ahead and be up there. We're a little behind. Um, so we're going to do a live recording. This will also show up on all the podcast platforms. So you hop, if you hop on here for a second and you don't get to listen to the whole thing um, or you're late, you can you can go check it out over on the any of the podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. It'll stay on YouTube. So... Um, we just figured we'd record live just for the heck of it and see what, what happens here. So um, I haven't had Michael on since our last live show. We talked about, what did we even talk about on that show? We had a smorgasbord of stuff. Yeah, a smorgasbord of stuff. So that, that might happen again tonight. I think our main focus is going to be um, just kind of the springtime preparation all across the inshore and near shore waters yep. uh, with a large focus of you know the inshore fishing, um, targeting redfish, trout, flounder. One thing, honestly, that I, I learned last year like is... I really like targeting flounder, even if you can't keep them. Like yeah. it's one of those fish that is that is so ingrained in people that like you catch flounder, you put them in the cooler, you kill them, you eat them. Yeah. Um, but man, going out and like trying to target big flounder and shore is, a, and even off the beach is a lot of fun. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit too. Before we get too deep into this, I see some people already hopping on. This is just a surprise live, you guys. Uh, we just decided to go for it, but um, we were just going to normally record and we decided to go live, but. Um, before we get into it, just a reminder, go check about go check out Eastern Current Fishing on Facebook, check out Eastern Current on Instagram, go check out Michael on Instagram, it's Yellow, Yellow Fury, Yellow Fury 18. 18, and Judd Brock Fishing for me. Um, also, we want to uh, tell you all about our sponsor that we have on the podcast now for, for a few episodes. Um, it's First Class Glass here in Wilmington. You can check them out at firstclassglass.com. They've also got an Instagram page called First Class Glass, but just incredible boat work from you know little ding repairs on your boat, little gel coat fixes to full blown restorations of boats, putting new stringers, new floors, new transoms, everything in boats. Um, also, you, if you've got an old beat up motor um, and you want to get it repainted, they they completely repaint motors, and um, you, I mean they can take your you know an old boat and make it look brand new. So first class glass, uh, great great place here in Wilmington and uh, North Carolina to go take your boat to if you need fiberglass work done. They do a lot of the. Um, warranty work for a lot of the dealerships here in town too. So very trustworthy work um, and a great dudes over there. So go check them out. First class glass. I also want to thank uh, I strike fishing um, of course, and all the support they have on the channel and uh, just super, super stoked to work with them and um, use their jigs. And um, I think that's it. I think that's it as far as the, the pre-show stuff goes. So we got seven people on here on this live. We're jamming. I think that's what happens when you don't uh, <laughs> announce it, but I was just feeling spicy and wanted to go for it. But well, sweet. What have you been up to lately, man? You have you got a new baby girl as yep. of how old is she now? She is six weeks. Six weeks old. So. That's crazy. Um, yeah, my fishing has been cut down a little bit. Yeah. I think I've gotten out like maybe three times since she was born. Yeah. So and that was typically, you know, every week. Yeah. Week and a half for me. It was three, four trips every two weeks at least. Yeah. So it, it, things change, man, but it is so worth it to just spend that time at home with, with them at that age, at, at every oh, yeah. age. But, man, it's just uh, such a blessing, man. It's so cool. And, and yeah, Michael, uh, I've been wanting to get Michael on here, but I haven't been wanting to pester him about, <laughs> um, you know, evening time so tough with the little kids. And so uh, we'll have Michael on the show a lot more, though, as, as, as time progresses. But, um, but yeah, so we're obviously today when we're we're live right now, it's pretty cold. We've kind of got a little front. Hopefully, this is one of the last fronts we see. Hope so. Uh, that water was creeping up nicely in the ocean. The bonita yeah. was starting to show up. Big bull redfish were showing up um, off the beach. Actually, I, I talked to some guys that that have been smoking 
um, the big bull redfish about 10 to 15 miles off. Oh, nice. Um, so that that's, you know, it's so hit or miss. You could go catch them on one piece of live bottom or structure one day and go back the next 10 days and they might not be there. Yeah. Um, but a lot of things are happening. The Bonita are showing up north of us a little bit, so we should see them soon. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think. Blue, chopper bluefish. I heard chopper bluefish on the tower cam. Uh, okay. at, um, the frying pan tower. So there's just a lot of the spring things that we're looking for, some flounder in shore. Um, but, but we're going to just talk about kind of what we're um, – where our minds are at this time of year, how we're preparing for the tran- transition of, of uh, seasons and how the fish, you know, change their patterns up. So um, what, what's some of the things that you see as, as key references to like, okay, things are changing a little bit. My, my practices and patterns might be changing on the water a little bit as well. I think for me, I start with water temperature a lot of times. Um, and then we even hit on this a little bit in our live stream that we did together a while back. Um, but looking at like some of the schools of redfish, seeing how their actions are, how they're moving, how they're grouped together, um, that gives you a lot of indication of kind of where that water temperature is at and how the fish are feeling. Yeah. And, you know, and kind of what's my next step. So once they start to spread out, the water temperature gets warm. Um, you might even see a few mullets starting to show up. It's not really that time yet, but more of like the glass shad and some of that stuff. We'll start seeing a little bit of that. Um, that that's kind of the indicator to me. All For right, sure. let's go. I start like kind of in reverse. I feel like a fall time. I feel like fall time. I start getting closer and closer to kind of those deep holes, the big creeks, closer to the inlet. I'm gonna go back to that kind of same pattern and. You know, start focusing there and seeing what's coming in, what's using those major highways. For sure. Um, and then once I locate either an area that's got redfish, flounder, whatever in it, then start to kind of work off of that. Definitely. Something that you just said that that is so key is those major highways. And like, yep. one, one way people are always like, you know, how, what are those major highways? But honestly, if you just look at Google Earth and look at your inlets and then the main creeks off those inlets and they're going to show you where those fish are feeding into and where they're going to be feeding back out of um for whether it be redfish trout flounder any of it you know they're going to follow those those systems and follow those currents and and you know it's going to be the same thing year after year um and, and i'm i'm bad about sometimes getting sucked into the habit of like fishing the same stuff over and over again um, and, and that's where it's nice to have like the network we always talk about of people that are checking different stuff and we're sharing information back and forth because it just opens your eyes. Like the more you learn, the more you're going to learn. The more you kind of like realize different patterns, different places, different techniques, different baits, like the more that, that knowledge just kind of begins to grow and snowball and, and whatnot. But, but yeah, those, those highways are, are key right now. And, and some of the things that you, that I look for on those highways, like those, those main areas, so inlets and major, major creeks is like prompt or primary pieces of structure, like yep. the biggest, biggest piece of structure in those areas, um, deep areas, you know, yep. these fish, like we just had a cold front again. So these fish that are getting shallow also want to still be able to get off and get deep and get away from yep. that, that really quick, quickly cooling water. I think tomorrow's supposed to be 39 degrees in the morning. Yeah. Well, that, um, and we have a lot of pressure changes coming through. A lot of pressure, yeah. So, just that weather pressure change on the barometer, I mean, those fish are going to swing. And I think that's what makes springtime as tough of a fishery as we probably can see. Yeah. You know, wintertime's always hard, too, but springtime presents a lot of different challenges. Definitely. So. Definitely, yeah. Springtime is, honestly, for me, it's one of my least favorite times to redfish. 
yeah. at least shallow because the fish are constantly changing up what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You can have some epic days. You can get on some fish oh, yeah. that are really fired up, but staying on a consistent pattern day to day is way tougher. Yeah. I mean, last year I had one school of fish by middle of March. I was still in top waters at them last year. Yeah. Catching them. And then the next week, nothing. I yeah. could see them. I could watch them for two, three hours, throw anything and everything at them. Can't Wouldn't touch it. it. You I know, think when they know those those temperatures are going to be changing, the pressure is going to be changing, they just decide yeah. to feed on those those you know those pressure changes and those temperature changes. I've yeah. seen that they've been catching them really good up in the New River, the, the tra- speckled mm-hmm. trout, and catching them shallow again. So you know they've transitioned out of those deep holes. So finding those flats near deep holes and some of those mm-hmm. stagnant estuaries like the Pamlico estuaries and, and whatnot, those fish are have been sitting in you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve feet of water. And they're now sliding up into those areas, those primary points. Those the, One thing that, that speckled trout do in those types of areas, they act just like bass. Where yeah. like when they are leaving a creek, <laughs> they stage on prime, like primary and secondary points. And when they're coming in a creek, they stage on primary and secondary points. And then also primary and secondary flats. So like the first yeah. flat that you're going to get into in a creek or the second flat you're going to get into in a creek... Um, that's where those fish are gonna gonna kind of hang out, and it's just exactly like you know largemouth bass when they're staging to spawn and come up shallow. Yeah, um, which is cool. Um, but yeah, so I guess we'll kind of let's start with. I, I think it'd be nice to kind of break it down per species, if you yeah. will, and, and we don't have to stay super super strict about it, but kind of talk about what the redfish are starting to do right now. Um, yeah. And so from your experience fishing through many many springs. Um, what do what do you kind of look for when you're trying to go out and kind of find some of those springtime redfish? Um, well, I have two approaches. So typically I'll start, you know, once I start seeing my groups of fish that I've been fishing in the marsh during the, or in the marsh during the winter time, like they're starting to spread out. You'll start to see them break up into smaller groups, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then I'm going from like, let's say the area that I was catching them at point A and I'm checking, you know, half mile radius kind of idea around it. I have an idea of where they're going to go because they're still looking for that same type of structure, that deeper spot where they can move shallow, but just with the warmer temperatures, they're wanting to start break up and they're wanting to go look for, you know, food, whether that's mullet, mud minnows, whatever's showing up. Yeah. Um, so I'll start searching around those areas where I've been seeing the schools of fish and then also in the surf. Yeah. You know, we got a good push of fish down the beach during the fall. Um, and the same holds true when they come back in the springtime. Definitely. So, you know, if you can, if you get a good day, good weather day where you can go out and either walk the beach and look for them or take a boat out and ride the backs of the waves, that's a really good time to start finding them. Typically that doesn't, I feel like that you don't really see that until more of like the little glass minnows and that kind of stuff start to show up when you start seeing that bait in the ocean in the three to five mile range. Yeah then that's kind of the key indicator. Like that 60 right. degree water tone. It's yeah. kind of like the kicker for it, I feel like, which it's been 57, 58 it, on the warm days. Yeah, I would say um, it's holding right around it. Yeah, so it's about to break free. Uh, that's so true, man. Like some of the most fun red fishing <laughs> that I get to do, and, I, and I, I feel like there's only ever like two to five times a year where I get on good in the surf. Yeah, um, but that is so fun, man, sitting out there and, and throwing from the backs of the waves into them or standing on the beach and pitching out mm-hmm. to them. Um, and those fish fight so much harder. Oh yeah. <laughs> it can be the same 25 inch fish you catch inshore. <laughs> but that's the other thing too, out there this time of year, like you could hang a 35 inch fish. Oh yeah. I was so. going to say the school, typically like you see the schools in the marsh, they're kind of, 
they're kind of sized, I guess I should say. Yeah. Like, if you find one group, they're going to be 16 to 20 inches. You find another group, they're going to be 20 to 22, 24, you know, whatever. Right. There's like a certain size class to them. Once, once you're on the ocean, it's a free-for-all. Yeah. So. You'll, and, see, you'll see some, some studs hanging yeah. out there. And two, I mean, when you get those really nice, calm days where the water is just barely lapping on the beach, get your boat in close, get right up almost onto the beach and look for those fish because when that surf isn't moving them around they're looking for something to kind of hold to and give them that pattern to go up and down the beach and do their migration so for sure that's going to be the beachfront when it's you know super not super choppy or anything but you know it's bigger waves that kind of stuff they can't sit right up on the beach but they'll sit down in those troughs and definitely you know if you're a surfer you you knew this from surfing in college you look for the sloughs and the outer bars and different stuff like that is how you're going to put together where to look for those fish right and don't make just one pass and be like oh nothing's here you know if you find a good looking area give it five ten minutes those fish aren't that much different than what you're seeing you know in the creeks in a creek they might move around in a four or five hundred yard zone out there in the ocean you know a trough might be 400 yards long and they're just going to make that circle in there looking for that bait whatever you know moving back and forth on that structure so you know give it some time look around keep your eyes peeled definitely yeah i'm just thinking about that day we had i guess it was two falls ago now where we were Mm. in the beach in the tower and and we were like this is the day there's a big school out here and we're like about to give up and then we're like what is all that color up there that's must yep. be a oh, bait or something we get up there it's like 800 redfish like all 25 to 30 inches floating on the surface and as soon as your jig lands in there's like <laughs> and all i had was trout rods that day too like yeah. tiny little trout rods and they were just dogging us and they were i mean they were right up like i mean almost backs out of the water you know, on that two bar. feet, yeah, yeah, from the beach at some points, and they'd come back out on the bar and move around, and at that point too, like you said, that's when we saw them, like just out there floating on top of that bar, and and they're not scared to sit shallow out there. No. I mean, they'll sit in a foot of water or less sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's really rough, I think they they sit a little deeper, but yeah, um, when it it was pretty, it was really. I mean, a lot of the days mm-hmm. that it's rough, you can't do it from a boat. You got to yeah. do it from the beach. But a bright sunny day is is the time to be out there. Bright yeah. sunny. You get a light wind on shore, not heavy, but just a light wind on shore that, that kind of cleans that water up. For some mm-hmm. reason, when it blows offshore hard, it, it stirs that water up right on the beach better. Yeah, I feel like it kind of eddies it or something. Yeah, but a, a light onshore is that seems to be the ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we'll go ahead. No, you're good. You're good. I was gonna say this is a good time of year too, like the fall time. We're seeing other types of fish out there. I right. mean, it's not just redfish that we're looking for in the surf. You might see a sheep's head, you might see black drum, um, all kinds of stuff. And this time of year, you're going to start seeing that same thing again. It might be a few more weeks for kind of the sheep's head and stuff to start showing up. They're a little bit more warm water than, say, the redfish and all, but it there, will there, happen. I know that there's been some caught on the jetty already. Yeah. Um, I've been catching a lot of sheep's head, too, at like three miles, two yeah. to three miles. So. But yeah, as far as getting in there shallow yet, they still want that, you know, 15 feet of water or more. Um, But, but yeah, it's, it's a cool time of year. And the other thing that people, people forget about is like those same speckled trout that migrate south in the fall are in the ocean migrating north in the spring. So you can go out there and catch them. Um, I've seen guys that catch them on top water in the surf in the spring. And like, I mean, it's, there's a lot of, of cool opportunities just right off the beach that time of year. So 
Um, again, guys, thanks for tuning in to this live. If you're not, if you didn't catch the live, it was just a surprise live. We're getting some people here chatting. Um, thank you all so much. And and if you do love this live, let us know here in the chat box. We'll try to do more of these recordings live, and and we'll try to be better about letting you know we're going to record them. We just spring's so busy, we've been fishing so much. We got kids now, and so we're getting an episode out every week. It's just tough to to know when we're going to do it. <laughs> so um, just uh, just keep an eye out on Instagram uh, and and on YouTube. I'll do some alerts on YouTube for these live episodes. But but if you do love them, just let, let us know, and and we'll continue doing them. Um, but yeah, so. There's just so much stuff that's transitioning, you know, in and out. And, and what's what's cool to think about is so many of these fish that we see in the spring, um, we get some fish that kind of transition in and out, and we get mm-hmm. other fish that are moving north-south, yep. um, which just, I've always thought that's kind of cool. And, and another, this just popped a, a random thought in my head, but uh, I, I learned about three or four years ago that, that there's two, another fish that I get really excited to catch this time of year is cobia. Mm-hmm. There's two populations of cobia. And so there's like, this big population of fish that moves in and out, yep. like that we'll see in North Carolina. They move offshore, inshore, offshore, inshore. And mm-hmm. then there's another kind of like subspecies that moves, migrates way south and then comes back north. Yep. Um, so it's like a pelagic cobia and like a nearshore cobia, if you will, um, which is cool. And, and I think that the that north to south population is, is struggling. And that's why we haven't seen as many on the beach down here um, the past few years. But, um, but yeah, so... What are some of the other uh, other things off the beach and, and, and right in, in the surf zone that you like to target in the springtime? Albies and Bonita. Albies That's going to be the next ones that start to show up that I really enjoy. I don't mind fishing for king mackerel and stuff, but yeah. it's I like kind of the hunting and everything. Of, like watching the, and the Albies light tackle and the, game. Yeah, yeah, the Albies and the Bonita. So, but once it does get to that kind of king mackerel time, catching the you know the small snakes and teenagers on super light um, – light rods you know oh, j- jigging and whatnot jigging and throwing kind of deep diver rapalas and stuff that's Heck a blast yeah. too definitely so yeah when you can sit on a school of those things on some structure and cast those <laughs> rapalas and just work oh, them yeah. back to the boat god dude that's so fun um now i mean and that's that's the thing like once you i don't know if people have started to find the bonita and stuff on off the beach but you know that 10 12 15 mile range is like kind of the first areas that you really start to see them and then you know you're going to notice they'll start to creep in and creep in and creep in and get closer and closer to the beach. And then it'll turn cold like it did this weekend. It might be gone. You may not see them for another week, week and right. a half. And then all of a sudden they'll start to come back. And I think that's a good way to judge once you start seeing them in that, you know, three to five mile range. Um, you know, it's kind of when all of this stuff is starting to kick off springtime wise. Yeah, for um, sure. We're right on the verge of it, but we're like in that funky month right before it kind of starts to go right now i think that's just you know pressures up and down temperature constantly fluctuating um just makes it really really tough so don't get discouraged just you know keep fishing and know it you know you know what you're looking for it just may not be the day that it's going to happen sometimes yeah definitely um this time of year like i was mentioning earlier it's a frustrating time for me for redfish yeah they get so i mean you can have some of your best days but I want to go back and talk a little bit about kind of like that fishing structure form this time mm-hmm. of year. Um, it, you know, uh, first off, I'm always going to typically go to the areas that I like to fish them shallow. That's what I prefer to do. If I'm going to catch redfish, I really want to, um, you know, catch them in shallow water and sight fish them. Not that I don't, I really do enjoy catching them on structure in deeper water and, and using bait form in that way because it's fun to know, like, it's fun to know when, when you kind of begin to understand how to fish. Yeah. deeper water and where to sit and how to you know orient on that structure but mm-hmm. 
you know, when it, when you see a big school of redfish in front of you, it's very obvious what you need to do. But when they're when they might be holding on a, you know, a rock pile or a deep, you know, twenty feet mm-hmm. of water on a dock, like there's, it's just fun to me to like conquer that challenge. Yeah. Um, but that can be a really this time of year is a great time of year to fish deep pieces of structure. Um, we got some chat going on here. Yeah, sorry <laughs> um, guys. No, no, you're good. Um, <laughs> Deep pieces of structure for redfish, whether it be docks, rock piles, mm-hmm. the jetty. Like the jetty is such a great, um, and there's jetties all up and down the coast. Our jetties fishes a lot like many other jetties where mm-hmm. it's a big time staging point and holding point for a lot of different types of fish, whether it be yeah. flounder, redfish, sheep's head, black drum, tarpon, cobia. I mean, all these fish kind of hit this this jetty. And, and one thing that, um, you know, is it, you think about pinch points for fish. And so... In and out fish, like we're talking about fish that are transitioning from off the beach to inshore, this doesn't play as true to, but like fish that are migrating north to south are going to swim around the tips of jetties. So like Mm -hmm. if you want to target, you know, any of the species, redfish, trout, flounder, um, sitting out on the ends of those jetties and fishing can be really, really effective. I mean, you can have some, some great days and... Um, some big, big freaking redfish mixed in sometimes yeah. with them. That's what I was about to say. Most of the time, the bigger fish that you're seeing that, or most of the fish that you're seeing making that north to south migration are going to be bigger than the fish that you're seeing make that transition from in the marsh out of the marsh. Right. Yeah, you know, 100%. so you're definitely able to um, target some, or able to target some monsters. Definitely. Um, yeah. It's... Yeah, that's that's a fun, and that's something I'm getting better and better at. Like mm-hmm. to me, almost like that shallow water stuff now feels like it's not too easy, but it, but yeah. it's it's the the challenge of just doing it differently is fun, yeah. and it makes you better. Like we always talk about, try to well be well rounded and and do a lot of different styles of fishing um, to become a better angler overall. Is you know if you love one thing and just want to do that, that's completely fine. But I'm the kind of person that I want to like, <laughs> I want to know how to go like catch a bass on a top water plot or not top water but just some weird little bait and then yep. go catch a cobia and then go catch a flounder and then go catch a salmon or steelhead like i want to just <laughs> learn how to do everything um but uh but yeah so big pieces of structure also think about you know inlets but also like these big rivers like we've got the cape fear here we've mm-hmm. got the new river north of us um and as you get down into south carolina you've got a lot of large rivers that, that run up inshore Um, And those are some of the first areas, some of those brackish water estuaries that that you'll see a lot of good bait. And so that's where a lot of these fish are going to stage. And a lot of our trout are going to hold over. Like speckled trout kind of hang out a little bit longer and spend the summers in areas like that a little bit better for us than um, than they do up around Wrightsville Beach and Topsail. What kind of stuff are you looking for typically this time of year for speckled trout? Or maybe not now, but transitioning into the next month for speckled trout. I feel like I'm still kind of looking for deeper holes or like... Good water flow on big points and deeper water. I don't know if it's... I feel like that's just where I've had more of my success. Definitely. And I don't know if that's because, you know, it's still kind of cold, so they're wanting to still hold in those spots. But even with, you know, extra current, I feel like they kind of move a little bit more out towards, like, those creek mouths and stuff. They kind of are moving out of those deep wintering low current holes right. in the back and they're starting to get out kind of towards the mouth of the creeks um but that's also where you know the first bait's going to start showing up as it's coming in from the ocean so that's where i'll start kind of targeting at least for trout um down south as far as up here 
clean water, it yeah. gets so tough and it's so hit or miss. I you can know exactly where they are here. Yeah, it, <laughs> doesn't mean you're gonna catch them. It, yeah, it, there was you know I mean even this winter is a good example of knowing where they were at. Hundreds of them. Yeah, piled up together. Fished them never. I don't think I caught a single one out of those. Yeah, and, so, and that I think that boils back down to. Um, and I didn't either. I didn't catch any trout out of some of those holes. And I, yeah. I kind of burned out fishing them on the wrong days when I shouldn't have been fishing them. But yeah. um, fishing those two or three warmer days right before front, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's when those fish will slip up and eat because they got to eat. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they're, they're really trout. A lot of trout don't eat much through the winter here. Mm-hmm. And so right now, through the rest of the spring, those trout we have around, they will eat well. Yeah. Uh, maybe not those clear water trout. Those will still be a little bit tougher. But, but you get in the Cape Fear River, you get up in the New mm-hmm. River. Um, it can be huge. And, and I think one of the things that I love so much about big pieces of structure this time of year is you can go catch every single fish yep. on the same exact piece of structure, a lot of times using the same tactic. Like you yep. could go fish a big rock point in the river and mm-hmm. catch a redfish, a trout, and a flounder all, all in the, you know within 15 minutes of each other, which, yep. is, which is pretty cool. Um, what does this question mean? How, how much do you guys watch the solar percentage? Oh, like cloud cover, I'm assuming. Oh, uh, maybe so. Um, I don't. I if I got I fish when I can fish, that's yeah. kind of what it comes down to for me. Um, when I get a nice day, I, it changes my tactic of what I'm doing. You know, if I get a good sunny day and it's warm, low wind, I'm sight fishing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But if it's gonna be a cloudy, overcast day, that water temperature is not gonna come up as much. I'm going more to those deep holes, you know, and kind of sticking to that where I'm not having to visually look for those fish because I mean when you're trying to pull up on fish and it's cloudy I mean you might get 15 feet from them you see them and that's the same instant that you moved just wrong and you spooked them yeah you know so it's not worth going into those spots and not being able to see the fish and messing it up because you might mess it up for the next day or two depending on what you you know what you did for sure so and fish, you know, some of those those pressured schools this time of year can still be tough. I mean, you can have a really warm day and go in there and they don't want to eat well. So um, I think watching that, you know, fishing, whoops, fishing the uh, the pre-front stuff mm-hmm. is going to be your best bites for trout, flounder, and redfish. Yeah. In short. Um, we'll get into that. I think, could you give some weak fish tips, which we can definitely get into. That's a gr- actually, we're just going to jump into it. So weak yeah. fish, gray trout, awesome fish that we have here in North Carolina. Um, unfortunately, I've never seen many of the big ones like you watch guys catch up yeah. north, like the big freaking 35 inchers and whatnot. But um, they're really fun fish to catch. And it's like deep water speckled trout fishing a lot of time when you yeah. fish them on jigs. The cool thing about this time of year is you can find them really quickly. Um, a lot of times what I'll do is I, when I go off the beach and I'll, I'll go fish structure and live bottom for sheep sets, I'm like crab mm-hmm. fishing. And I'll just pitch a mud minnow on a Carolina rig a little bit behind the boat, five feet, ten feet behind the boat. And just let that sit there as I kind of trolling motor and change around on pieces of structure until I catch a gray trout on it. Nice. And, I mean, you'll, you'll weed through a few little sea bass, but until that water hits like 63, 64, there's really not many sea bass near the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, so five miles and in, if you've got live bottom numbers or, or even on the ARs, get out there with, with jigs. Um, I say that's definitely how I do it is. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, little one-ounce jigs and for sure. dropping them. For sure. And, and the mud minnow tactic is something I've kind of started to do while I'm fishing a crab for something else. Because I've got, I've got to sit there and hold that crab and wait for a bite. Yeah, I'm going to miss the fish if I don't. But I can put that circle hook with a mud minnow off the back 
and a gray trout can eat it. And then I'm like, all right, it's worth jigging here. But but also just just sitting on those those gray trout, at least in my uh, experience, they're not sitting up on top of big pieces of structure. They're kind of sitting out on the edges and on some of the lower relief. Mm-hmm. And they will suspend, um, but they do mark really well. You'll get they'll mark kind of like redfish would on a graph, where you'll get like a little wavy line and maybe like a little wavy line underneath it. And there's a lot of spots I've been going to lately that, um, I mean, you're catching, we're catching 50 gray trout. You know, and they're if you find them this time of year, they're they're super schooled up. And yeah. um, a lot of you know, it's a lot of a lot of times at least here in North Carolina, you'll have to weed through a bunch of dinks, some small ones, but. Yeah. Um, we've been catching some 18 to 20 inch fish every every yeah. time we've been out, but um, but I would just say go hit a lot of any of those numbers that you have between five miles and right off the beach. Um, yep. I've caught them from five miles all the way to a couple hundred yards off the beach recently. So um, as far as jigs, like some guys really prefer metal, some guys prefer soft plastics. I will say it is really nice to have a treble hook on those gray trout when you're fishing vertically because you got to think about the way that, that that fish is typically eating that bait. And, and unless it's a really big fish that's going to suck your soft plastic down that single hook, you'll hook them pretty good. But some of the smaller ones you're going to miss. The treble hook will really uh, step up your hookup percentage. Yeah. But you, you will not pull those fish off if you hook them on a single hook. And that just kind of rings yeah. true with everything. But you have any any kind of tactics you like to would like to throw out there about Grey Child? Well, I was going to say, I mean, jigs are typically what i'm doing for them so um and i'll even switch from a treble over to a single i mean you got to think their their mouth is just like a speckled trout it's really thin um and i try to go as light tackle as possible because i just don't want to horse that fish and rip its mouth yeah Yeah. and not only are you gonna you know potentially be throwing that fish back but then that fish has got to live for a while with a messed up lip and hopefully be able to feed again so just a little conservation part there definitely. um but you know if you're getting a good school fish trouble whatever yeah definitely. So if they're eating well um, do you have any specific colors you like for them i try to stick natural natural like color black and silver sometimes i'll have like some chartreuse or blue in it but yeah. you know just kind of the typical black back silver belly kind for of sure. deal so. yeah they're they're fun fish they're very cooperative you know like if, if you're on they can be <laughs> um they're they're fun to catch though, and and one of the things that I have I've kind of learned fishing for them more over the past couple of years is a really heavy hook set um, isn't always the best thing. Like same with yeah. that soft mouth, you don't really realize how much pressure you're putting on them, mm-hmm. um, especially setting the hook vertically. So I just will kind of lift into them and then speed my reel up when I know yep. I've got them hooked, and, and that'll usually do the trick. Um, definitely. A net is important to have when you're fishing for gray trout. Same with speckled trout. Like you don't want to boat flip a big one. You don't want to try to grab them in the water with your hand. You want to scoop them up with a net pretty quick. Keep their head down in the water when they get up by the boat. Um, my buddy Elias, he's got a YouTube channel, Elias V Fishing. He's got some small Mackinac shad um, that work really, really well. It's a soft plastic that comes with a jig head that you can kind of jig on the bottom. And you can definitely, depending on what kind of structure on, you can cast away from the boat and work it back to you. Which is, if you're trying to locate them. I would say that is one of the best options because you can kind of sit there, walk around your boat, fan cast all the way around it, kind of mm-hmm. move to where they are. But when you can get on them and sit vertically on the school, and, and I can't tell you how many times the past two weeks, I've actually been doing a lot of great trout fishing. Um, the past two weeks that, you know, we'll cast to them and then we'll hook one under the boat. And then all of a sudden you don't really see much on the screen, but then all of a sudden the whole school is right under your boat because they're, they're, that action's going on. And, and whatnot. And the other the other thing to think about too is these areas that you've got with a lot of small gray trout on them right now, uh, they will 
be areas that the redfish and the Kobe are coming to hang out to eat those small gray trout. It's a great meal for those fish. And so, you know, have, be ready with a bigger jig. Don't be afraid to drop a bigger jig. And if you're tired of little ones, upsize. I mean, don't be afraid yeah. to fish. You know, they're like a speckled trout. I mean, they'll get a five-inch swim bait mm-hmm. on the bottom. So you can kind of get rid of a lot of those smaller fish by, by upsizing upsizing your bait. But, yeah, natural's great. I mean, I don't think you can really go too wrong with color. But no. you can never go wrong with natural. And that's yeah. kind of what I end up fishing, too. A little bit of green sometimes, too. Um, I think we, just a little bit of green gives them something to see a little bit more than just the natural, especially it was in a big school, something that stands out a little more. So um, we had a question about fishing for the gray trout from a kayak. Um, personally, I don't I don't catch many gray trout inshore. It's always bycatch. I will catch some, but I don't target them inshore much. But I would just look on some of the, the nautical charts, if mm-hmm. you will, not maps. <laughs> Um, nautical charts and, and look for some of those near shore ARs and near shore live bottoms. There's a lot yep. of stuff right off the beach. I know some kayakers like to get off the beach in their kayak. Others don't, but uh, I'm just saying, like look on some of the charts for little areas of relief that are within that like half mile off the beach. Definitely. And that typically can be a, a good staging point, especially if they're making that move up and down the beach. So, um, and, and I just saw another question about, um, you know, changing up baits, just be like, they're just like any other fish. Like they can definitely get picky and sometimes sizing up is helpful. Like not yeah. just fishing a tiny little jig, fish something a little bit flashier, mm-hmm. a little bit bigger. Think about like a speckled trout, like those big speckled trout. A lot of times they're going to exert the energy to eat one big meal, you right. know, less times a week than eating a lot of small baits. So, yeah. uh, play around, definitely having an assortment of jigs, having an assortment of soft plastics to throw and, and bounce on the bottom can be helpful. Yeah. And watching like your flash and how, you know, typically most of my standard jigs, I don't have anything like it's almost just sometimes bare lead, Yeah. you know, and I think sometimes when you get into like the flashy foil tapes and some of that stuff, these fish aren't sitting in, not all of them are sitting, you know, 60, 70 feet of water. We're talking 30 feet or less sometimes, you know, and there is a lot of sunlight coming down and that flashy jig can be enough to turn them off. Um, cause it's still very reflective that far down. So, you know, dawning back some of the flash sometimes is, yeah, just be, like a matte jig almost or like yeah. a pale jig without too much flash. So, and you know, we talk about bone white as a top water, you know, it's, it's white, but it's not flashy and bright. It's just for sure white. So, and that's what a lot of my offshore like grouper jigs and stuff are just a plain white with nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. So, white just does such a good job of t- kind of being a part of whatever environment it's in yeah it kind of it becomes natural wherever you throw it mm-hmm. uh, and the other thing too you said you might not have been right on them in this question um that's definitely part of it i mean you could be on let's just say the liberty ship per se and somebody could be catching them and you're watching them smoke the gray trout right there and you're 50 yards away and not catching them i mean i'm constantly jockeying around on trolling motor when I'm out there until I until I catch one and I'll sit there and if the bite slows down I'm moving a little bit again. There I mean it's a school of fish. They're sliding around on the bottom and yeah. um, you know, if you don't have a trolling motor and you've got an anchor, I get that, but maybe try to go out there on a calmer day where you can slowly drift for them. Yeah. Um, a lot of times too, a lot of outboard motor boats, if you kind of put your butt into the boat into the wind and kind of bump it in out of reverse, you can really slow your drift down and control it way more than trying to keep the bow into the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, so just slowing down and going over that structure, marking it, and then you can continue that drift where yep. you hit those fish. Um, but but I, I would say any if you got the opportunity if, if you want to get anything for your boat for near shore fishing, 
get a spot lock trawling hook because <laughs> yeah, especially for I mean for flounder trout or everything yeah. you can pick apart a piece yeah. of bottom so much better um, and really understand where you're at and then after that I would say a good GPS unit but mm-hmm. as long as you can tell that you're on the relief or near the relief yeah the being able to make minor moves I think is more important than being able to really see exactly what the bottom's like yeah. Well, and two, like, if you don't have a trolling motor, drive it around your structure and make, make a couple loops and then mark those spots and see how many spots you can line up with, like, a wind drift, Yeah. you know, and that way you maximize as many potential areas that those fish are sitting. Definitely. You know what I mean? That's what we used to do a lot of times with the scout. Yeah. We go offshore, even inshore, bass fish, all that stuff. If we know there's a certain line that we're looking for. Give us for bass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 45 minutes across first lake. But, yeah. you know what I mean? That's... We caught fish. We did, yeah. So you know, understanding what you have and the ability, or what you can do, do with what you have, yeah. and figuring out how to optimize that for the best, mm-hmm. best deal. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a trolling motor, man, it, it's a game changer for sure. Or yeah. just it, it just takes away that time of having to pull an anchor in, then hope that you drop it and reset ten feet to the right. Like it's mm-hmm. at least for me, it is pretty impossible to, to do that. <laughs> so. Um, with the days that I forget to plug my trolling motor in, I'm out there, or it's not working for me. Like I'm ready to go in before the day even gets started. But yeah, great trout's just a great fish, and, and that's a fishery that's pretty depleted here in North Carolina. That yep. that I would love to see bounce back because man, it is a rewarding one. Like when you get on them good. When we were kids, man, we used to go um, off of Surf City up in um, Topsail and jig form. And even back then, man, we were in the fall. We were jigging like. You know, it was every freaking drop, and you were catching a 20-plus-inch gray trout uh, out there off Surf City. And um, this one little spot, and we were the, oh, the only boat ever out there. I wish I had the dang numbers for that spot. I did not have them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was it just – it's they're fun fish. And, and it's cool to be able to cast, like, when you're sitting on a spot and bounce a jig on the bottom, and you get that feel of, like, a speckled trout, too, <laughs> instead of just sitting there vertically fishing for them. But I have never caught speckled trout on – live bottom or off the beach but i know plenty of people that have caught speckled trout in the same yeah. areas are catching great trout so um you know there's the always the you know you never know that seems like a great spot for a 30 <laughs> inch fish to be hanging out um and, and also for a kayak too like the jetty mm-hmm. i'm not gonna say that i've never stumbled into a big school of great trout on the jetty but they yep. definitely get on the jetty and i've definitely caught great trout on the jetty yep um but upsizing your bait can definitely help you get those better bites on those things and um live bait but um What's an, what, what should we talk about next? Um, we're going to kind of talk about redfish and trout. So you want to talk about flounder? Yeah, let's talk about flounder a little bit. Oh. I've started to see them. Uh, we, I've caught a couple inshore. We actually caught a, like a 23-inch on a mirror lure the other day in like a foot of water. Dang. And we got that into the boat awesome. and it threw up like a 5-inch menhaden. I haven't seen a 5-inch And it was like a yeah. fresh 5-inch menhaden. That's crazy. I haven't seen a big menhaden like that in a while. Well, we were talking about the river earlier. The menhaden will start to show up in the river a lot of times before kind of anything else does um like mullet and some of your bigger bait fish so you know that's a good key indicator too and that's going to be some of your first good bait bait to get a hold of for, for sure but i mean for flounder i'm starting near an inlet and i'm working every deep hole that i can between where that water clears the beachfront back yeah so I'm, I kind of break my rule of like staying in the creeks and staying out of boat traffic and all of that. And I'm, I mean, right now it's not crazy busy with boat traffic, but as we get towards the summer, you know, 
that's going to definitely start to pick up. But finding those deep holes in the main structure, main bends, different things like that, deep holes, that's that's going to be the key spots, I feel like, for me, because that's where they're going to come in and stage out first, see what the water temperature's like, make sure everything's, you know, groovy before they start really moving into the marsh. Right, right. So Yeah, they're... Uh... Again, big primary pieces of structure, like fishing those those jetties, fishing those big docks. Mm-hmm. Like another thing too is every inlet that you have access to, go fish the ten docks that are closest to it yep. this time of year. Um, I promise you, one of those docks has redfish, trout, or finder on it. Probably all of them. Maybe not trout, but but and black drum as well. And sheephead. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll, they'll stage on those first docks. They're getting in there. They don't know where they're going. Uh, yep. They're going to hang up on those first pieces. Bait are going to hang up on those first pieces of docks. Um, and and then work your way in on those docks. I mean, if you mm-hmm. like dock banging, you like structure. We're actually, I'm bringing on a guy next week to talk about just dock fishing, dock banging, um, which will be cool. Now, and if Mike's free, we'll have Mike on for that one as well. But, um, you know, picking those docks apart and, and knowing where to go um, and, and no, or knowing where the fish are and kind of being able to follow them down those docks into their mm-hmm. – and then the, a lot of times they'll hang up on those docks all year long. But like I'm thinking about here, you can't fish it. But like the the Coast Guard dock, every time I roll past that thing with side scan on, dude, it is loaded with fish on it, black trout, mm-hmm. redfish, right inside the inlet. So I mean, th- they'll hang up on those big deep water docks that are near the inlet. And, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say also like don't ju- you don't have to just think about a structure that you can see too. Like that's kind of what I feel like my niche is sometimes during this time of year is I'll go out and look for either a big oyster bar, a big drop-off, big ledge, something that changes on the bottom that makes a difference for this fish to be able to stage up on. And that kind of gets me away from, you know, everybody, especially once it starts to really warm up and get into the end of spring and the beginning of summer, you know. Yeah, underwater unexposed structure is... If you can have twenty of those spots in your pocket, mm-hmm. th- I mean that's going to be your best, yeah, your best friend. I mean yeah. it's going to allow you to to be able to catch fit or target fish at a way less pressure, target yeah. areas that most people drive right yeah. past and don't even know. Yeah, um, and it yeah. doesn't have to be a whole lot. I mean we talk about live bottom off the beach, but we have live bottom inshore too. Definitely, like oyster bars are. I wouldn't necessarily consider live bottom, but. There are some deep water holes near some of the inlets that have kind of that live bottomy look that you get a half mile off the beach or more. Right. So, you know, and just being able to find that and pick it out on your graph that, you know, learning that or jigging around in that area until you snag on something and you can pull it up and see what it is. Yeah. That's how I've kind of found a lot of my spots. Man, I've been, I think this is legal to do, but like it would be so sweet to go around with a bunch of pallets and center blocks and like. Make your own little inshore ARs in like 15 feet yeah. of water that only you know about. You can just roll around and throw jigs at those in the summer. I'm sure big flounder would stage up on them. <laughs> like all the points around Rich's Inlet and like 12, mm-hmm. 15 feet of water, Topsail Inlet. Like you yeah. could you could create your own little beautiful spots. I mean, in, you know, you think about New River. We were talking about brown water. You know, those ARs that are in the New River. Yeah. Those those are going to be the first areas to really start holding flounder and stuff For as sure. those fish come in. Especially if you can find, there's a couple of them where there's points and different stuff that are close by. Yeah. You know, those are going to be the areas that are going to load up first. Definitely. And, so, and a lot of these fish will swim the channels in. Mm-hmm. And so finding where those channels swing up near structure. So yep. if you can find the deep water, like you're saying, accessing right up against the dock, 
or against a uh, bulkhead or yep. any type of structure where the channel swings in tight to it. So those fish can get up shallow, get up on that structure and slide off into deep water. Um, you know, it's the same. It really is like, when you think about it, it's like three things that you're thinking about mm-hmm. when fishing, but, but you break it down so many different ways for so many different fish in so many different areas. And they don't all look the same. They all look so different, but yeah. they're all the exact same idea. Like fish are so simple and they work mm-hmm. in the same way. Um, which is like, I don't know how we've done 105 podcasts talking about <laughs> how to catch inshore fish, but every time it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm even learning stuff new just by talking about it. Yeah. Um, I feel like just processing it, thinking about it in a different way. For sure. You're hearing somebody else, you know, say something just slightly different. You're like, oh, that's what I was missing. You yeah, know, I definitely. feel like I have that epiphany moment a lot of times when me and you sit down and talk. You're like, oh, I caught a fish here. I'm like, that's, you know, yeah. that was the missing piece of the puzzle for For me. sure. So. Yeah, it's just a constant puzzle that is slightly changing every day. Yep. Um, and some pieces fit, some pieces don't fit. <laughs> it's like three puzzles dumped together. That's <laughs> um, constantly changing every day. But um, I'm trying to. Th- so flounder, yeah. So you will really once that bait starts showing up, those flounder will transition shallower. But yep. most of them are sitting a little bit deeper right now. Um, and again, like I challenge y'all to go out this year and just try to. Try to just target flounder for the for the sport of targeting quality flounder in shore because mm-hmm. you don't have to catch flounder you don't have to keep flounder for it to be fun and they're they're yeah. really fun fish to just catch and let go. Um, they're delicious. They're hard to let go because they they're so darn good. But um, I mean, I had some days last year in the river, man, that was just a blast throwing a big mm-hmm. five inch uh, like uh, soft plastic jerk bait. Yep. Um, a little jerk shad and. God, those fish thump a bait so much harder than anything else. Yes. Like if you say you're addicted to like a trout thump, then you would like flounder <laughs> because flounder thump it even harder than a trout does. Yeah. Um, I think I just love that like dead weight feeling. Just you're like, is it bottom or is it flounder? Let it be a flounder some days, you know? <laughs> yeah. And everyone says like don't set the hook right away on a flounder. And I feel like sometimes that's true, but other times it's not true. Like. Yeah. The one thing I, I find myself doing is like when I'm working a bait in, like twitch, 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 let it sit, twitch, 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 let it sit, and I feel that boom. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'll sit there and like tap it, tap it, like just make sure that weight's still there, and I'll give it ten seconds at most, five seconds yeah. to set the hook, and I will pull fish off. But but I'm not a believer that flounder chew their bait up or mouth their bait. They got a massive mouth. Yeah, I, I think what a lot of it boils down to is the shape of their mouth and the way that a jig head rides. Yeah, and, and so their mouth opens sideways, mm-hmm. and they eat a jig, but your jig is facing up. Mm-hmm. So I think what really happens is a lot of times when you set the hook, that that mouth gets opened up by the head of your jig, and that hook just has a little bit better chance of sliding out because you think about a redfish or a trout, the top and bottom overhang. Yeah. And so, and the same with a flounder, it overhangs but sideways, but your jig head's facing up when it gets eaten. I don't know, but I, I've watched videos, underwater videos of flounder eating stuff, and it straight disappears when they eat it. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it hurts with live bait to let them, let them sit there and chew on it. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would say if you're live bait fishing this time of year, like, you don't want to let them chew on it too much because you can't keep them here in North Carolina and you're going to yeah. end up gut hooking a lot of them. What's your opinion on the whole flounder hook set deal? Um, if I'm fishing live bait, I will let them eat it, you know, five, maybe ten seconds, depending on the size of the mullet. The bigger the mullet, the little longer I'll let it wait just so I make sure they get it all the way down, you know, to where that hook is going to – because if I'm bait fishing, 
a lot of times, you know, you're nose hooking that mullet. If you're throwing a five, six inch mullet that's nose hooked, it's got to get a long ways into that flounder's mouth for them to be able to get the hook. But when it comes to like jig fishing and stuff, I'm, as soon as I feel that weight, I'm setting the hook last year. I mean, I was having 15, 20 fish days, Yeah. you know, throwing a jig head, which I mean, you, you fish more of the river than I did. You were throwing bigger bait, but like up here in the more clean water. Yeah. Um, you know, I was throwing a four inch Z-Man paddle tail yeah. all summer long and then I mean, just working it normal. Twitch, twitch, let us sit. Yeah, it's... Uh, and they're eating it. Yeah. But I think the downsizing that 4-inch bait, you know, I was catching more of a range of fish from 10, 12 inches to 15, 18, 20 inches. Right. You know, versus if you step up to that 5-inch bait, you're going to be catching a better size class of fish. 100%. So, you know, it's Not that the big ones won't eat little, little yeah. baits. But, but, yeah, you know, bigger fish, bigger meal. Why not? I mean... Yeah. If, if I'm really hungry and someone's like, and a little, like one inch steak swims past, or I guess not swims, but slides past me on a plate right at, you know, at the same time that a big old 15 ounce steak slides yeah. past me on a plate, I'm going to grab that big steak. Um, but who knows? I mean, we, we can, uh, big fish have been called on, elephants eat peanuts, big fish yeah. have been called on small baits, but. Um, dude, I, I, I'm getting stoked talking about the flounder fishing. It's just such a fun fish. Like we don't have the trout to be caught on artificials in great numbers locally in the summertime. Yeah. And so dialing in, you know, where to go target those flounder on artificials in the summer is just a great way to add some more to your day. You don't have mm-hmm. to have that low tide necessarily to really get on them. Uh, Honestly, I don't like the low tide to feed on them. Or- no. To fish for them. Unless you're trying to get on top water. When yeah. they're like early in the morning when they're on the edges of those flats eating yeah. that bait, dude. Oh man. It's they they crush a top water plug harder than just about any other fish. You've had some top water fly eats from yeah. Flounder, haven't you? Well, I caught some on clousers like right underneath the surface, but yeah, very close to top waters. That's fun. Um yeah, dang man. what is what's the water temperature you feel like when you really start seeing those flounder show up in shore good? I feel like it really starts to kick at like 70. 70, okay. Yeah, I mean, they'll, like, I mean, it's around 58, 60 right now, you know, and they're already here, but for them to really get here and really start feeding and making that move that we see in the summertime of like up onto the edges of the creeks and right along the grass lines and really start feeding like that, I feel like it's that kind of 70, 75 right. before they kind of get in that full swing of things. So. And that can be here very quickly. Oh yeah, you know it could be here in a couple of weeks. Um, what do you like? All right, let's talk about a creek. Like you're in a creek, you're flounder fishing, and you're blind casting. Like mm-hmm. and you're picking spots down the bank. Like what are your what are you looking for? Is like where that next cast goes? Because mm. you you smoke the flounder artificially yeah. more than really anybody I know. So I think the biggest thing that I look for that a lot of people miss is changes in grass. If you're going down a bank and there's really, really dense grass and then all of a sudden it gets a little sparse, and I mean, it can only be for a foot wide section and then it gets dense again, yeah. every bit of bait that's going to move onto that flat where behind that grass to get away from stuff is going to use that main channel in and out where that grass gets a little bit thinner, you know, and is not as dense. And that flounder is going to sit right outside of it. Yeah. You know, um, dead ends a lot of times, like if there's just a little creek that juts off maybe 10 feet in or something that's just a small change on the edge of the bank where it gives that flounder an ambush point, you know, 
it's worth at least. Are a you cast. trying to throw it into the back of that little creek mouth or that little pocket? Mm-hmm. If it's a pocket that's like, you know, three four feet deep, yes. But I'm gonna do that after I already fish the mouth of it. Gotcha. Because I feel like a lot of times the fish they'll sit in the pocket, but they're facing out. Because gotcha, I gotcha. won't get bit until my bait clears kind of the edge of that point. I feel like a lot of times they're sitting kind of in the pocket and they're watching out into the main creek channel, watching for that bait to come down. And if you ever watch mullet swim down the side of a bank and all of a sudden the bank turns, those those mullet, they swim out like a foot or two off the bank. Because all of a sudden they're like, oh no, I'm in open water. And they turn real sharp, you know, and they try to find that grass line again. And I think that little area there... Is what those flounder are targeting. Yeah, they're the little screw up by those big yeah. fish is what they're keen in on. So, you know, if and it's just those little changes, I think last year that made a huge difference in yeah. how many fish I was catching. For sure. So. It's fun, man. It's so rewarding when you look at it, you're going in a creek, you look at a spot, you're like, God, there's a flounder sitting right there and yep. pitch to it. Because here in North Carolina, that's the one fish you can count on. That, that you can <laughs> kind of count on sometimes to be in a spot that looks like they should be there. Yeah. Uh, now redfish will do it about 50% of the time flounder will do it 75% of the time yeah um, and some big ones man It's they're fun to catch they're super fun to catch people are always like I don't like targeting them though because they don't fight good um, but for those people <laughs> I say go fish for them in the ocean because yeah. those fish are designed to pull down that's why like so many times with clients they'll be like I think I got a bite I think I got a fish and like they're reeling it in their rod's kind of I'm like you got a flounder keep reeling keep reeling yeah. And then the flounder gets to the boat and it gets a little depth underneath and it's like, yang, 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 because it's trying to go straight back down. But it's like pulling a piece of paper to you. When it's in yeah. a foot of water out in front of you, like it can't do anything. It can't turn on its side and pull away. It has no mm-hmm. ability to, to fight at that point. But when it gets out into that deeper water out off the bank, that's when it's going to try to pull down and go around the boat and go under, yeah. um, which is, that's, man, that's so fun. I love that. Uh, especially when people don't think they have a fish. They're like, they got an oyster shell again, and they get it to the boat, and it's, <laughs> uh, and a lot of fun. I would say that's another thing. Like, if you feel like you've got an oyster shell or something, I noticed this last year a lot of times when I would catch fish, is they would almost just kind of slide up to the boat. And just, you wouldn't, you know, you think you're just dragging something along and then all of a sudden it's, it's you know, just they kick on. in. Yeah. yeah. So don't, don't sissy the hook set. Go ahead and make sure you got that fish. So. And go ahead and have that net ready. Like if yeah. you can just slide him straight into the net real quick like a bass before he oh. goes on that second dig. Yeah. That you're going to, you're going to land a lot more of them. I'm saying flounder fishing, my net never leaves the deck of my boat. It is almost 100% of the time either between my feet or leaned up right at the back of the boat where I can just grab, grab it. it and scoop them. Yeah. yeah. They're fun fish, man. They're super fun. And, and, and again, I'll beat this point to death, like <laughs> diversify. Don't just go catch a redfish every day. Don't just go spend troll for Spanish mackerel. Like force yourself to do something different, to learn something new. Um, that's the, you know, a lot of the point behind this podcast is just like helping encourage people to go out there and try something they haven't done, discuss things that they haven't done, uh, and go out there and, and, and see what you can do with it. But, um, we're at an hour here. I think we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast, go over and check out our Patreon page. Me and Michael are going to jump over there right now um, and record. We're going to actually talk about our favorite springtime baits So um, for trout, flounder, and redfish um, and some of our baits that, that we kind of keep under wraps a little bit um, that really do help us catch more fish in these transitionary times. Good search baits, good baits for uh, for catching you know all three species uh, in the same area. So. 
Definitely check us out over on Patreon. You guys, thanks for checking out this live. We'll do some more of these lives. Like we said, this was a surprise one. So thanks to everyone that tuned in. Um, and thank you for your support. And we look forward to seeing you all next time. Later.